this is session two of the life and times of Jesus Christ, which we're calling Simply Jesus. And I just lost half my crowd because the sugar arrived, but that's okay. Everybody just get some sugar in your coffee and come have a seat. This is coffee in the Word tonight. Okay. Um, all right, so uh, this, this is session two of the life and times of Jesus Christ. We have four lessons, so we have two more after tonight. And um, what I'm doing is I'm teaching... Uh, three students, three volunteers, as I would teach any student, as I would teach somebody that doesn't have any knowledge of the Word of God, and it's the same way you can teach your friends whether they have some knowledge or, or no knowledge at all of the Word of God. It's a very simple Bible study. It's very nuts and bolts. It's very um, basic. It just talks about why Jesus came, what He did while He was here, and how we can be born again and receive the Gospel message in our lives. So that, that's where we're headed with this. I do want to ask you, if you will, tonight, you actually, I'm going to give you permission to get your phones out and just uh, do some social media and, and hashtag it Simply Jesus. For those of you that might be a little spelling challenge, that's S-I-M-P-L-Y, simply, there's no E in simply. Uh, so Simply Jesus, hashtag, just do a little social media, we'll have a little fun with that. And um, tonight we're going to talk about... Uh, or la I should say, last week we talked about the birth of Jesus. Tonight we'll talk a little bit about His ministry on earth. So with that being said, and with that introduction, I need three volunteers to be students tonight. Can I have that blanket? Can I go sit there? No, the thing with the blanket is, is you have to sit, sit on the blanket on I'll sit on because it, okay. there's something wrong with the chair. <laughs> Josh, you are welcome to join us if you have a seat right here on this chair. Uh, do y'all want to sit? Uh, no? Okay. All right, somebody, quickly, somebody. I need, I need somebody. Now, look, the green chair is available, too. I'm not going to sit on the green chair tonight. What? Why did you tell me? I was going to sit on that. I'll sit. I need one more. Come on, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you. The deal with the green chair is I realized last week that I taught the entire lesson with my chin on my knees because of, you know, I'm tall and the chair is short. So... I'm going to try this tonight. I'm going to try sitting here where I can make eye contact with everybody. Are you hashtagging? Yeah. Okay. Oh, and I can also see the screen, so that's good. All right, Charles, we're ready. If you'll get us uh, the first screen of lesson two, chart one. There it is. All right. Uh, guys, last week we talked about the birth of Jesus Christ. We talked a little bit about why he came. And um, if you remember, he came because he loves you. And he loves me so very much, right? And that's a big distinction from all other gods that people serve or gods that people have made unto themselves is that our God, is, the Bible says, God is love. And it was his love that drove him to come and die for our sins. So that's huge. Our entire experience with God is based on his love. So tonight we're going to pick up where we left off and we're going to talk about uh, the life of Jesus, and we're going to start with the ministry of Jesus. Now, did everybody get a handout? You guys, Cole, we took care of that? Yep, good, all right. And you can follow right along in your handout. All right. So, going back to the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that a man would come, uh, and he didn't call him by name, but this man was John, that would prepare the way for the Messiah. And if you go in your Bibles to, uh, to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, there's a couple Bibles right here. Um, yes, thank you. Uh, you got one? Uh, yeah, that's okay. Uh, we're going to see that John the Baptist prepared the way of the Lord. John 
uh, he, the Bible says in so many words that he was kind of a wild man. It's what we would consider a man that lived off the land. He ate locust and honey. He wore camel's hair garment. Uh, he was just kind of a man of the wilderness. And all of a sudden, he burst on the scene, just like the prophet said he would. And he started baptizing people in the Jordan River. And the Bible says that his baptism was unto repentance. That he baptized people unto repentance. And he said, look, this, this repentance deal is just the beginning. It's not the end. He said, there's one coming after me that's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So who has Matthew chapter 3, verse 11? All right, Ashley. It says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Right. So, so that's it right there. He said, you, when, when Jesus comes, he's going to take you to the next level. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Josh, you all right? Feeling good? Yeah? All right. Let's go to John chapter 1, verse 29. So one day, you know, John's out here baptizing people in the Jordan River uh, under repentance and telling them to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And all of a sudden, he looks up and he sees Jesus coming. And he says, he says something very powerful and he says something very important about Jesus. And if I could get somebody to read it, John chapter 1, verse 29. You got it, Lauren? I'm following it. One, wait, John 1, what? 29. You need your glasses? I got it. I got it. I'll get you to get the next one. Okay. Hang, hang, hang tight. Yep, we'll get the next one. It's okay. The next day. Go ahead. Sorry, these words are really small. The next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So that's very powerful. He says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So we see there kind of a glimpse of why Jesus came to take our sin away. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to it. So uh, so then John promptly baptizes Jesus. Now why do you think John, or why do you think Jesus allowed himself to be baptized by John? Because Jesus had no sin. He didn't have need to repent. I guess an example. That's exactly right. Good answer. He bat was baptized there may be a couple other reasons, but the main reason was he was baptized as an example. If Jesus needed to be baptized, as we're going to see in a couple weeks, how much more do we need to be baptized? That's exactly right. The Bible says that immediately upon being baptized, and you can see this on the other, kind of the right-hand side of the chart, <clears throat> that, the, that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And there in the wilderness, he, would, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says he was tempted by the devil during that time. And um, if you'll go to, uh, uh, Josh, were you able to get Matthew chapter 4? Mm -hmm. Okay, can you read verse 1 for me? Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Okay, can you go ahead and read verse 2 as well? And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward very good. Thank you. So he fasted 40 days, 40 nights. And then if you notice in verse 3, uh, that was when the tempter came to him, or the enemy, or the devil came to him. And he tempted him in three different areas. I want, I want you to look at this. In verse 3, it says, the tempter comes to him and he says, If you're the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Hey, I know so, that's 
Yeah, he, he commanded these stones to be made bread, which, of course, Jesus was very hungry. Notice what Jesus said in verse 4. He said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then in verse 6, the tempter comes to him again. He says, If you're the Son of God, cast yourself down. For it is written, He shall give you the angels charge concerning thee. And Jesus responded again in verse 7. He said, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then in verse uh, 8, again, the devil takes him to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and says to him, All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, it is written, Thou shalt not, or thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Notice that each time Jesus defeated the devil, how? By quoting the word of God. By quoting the word of God. He overcame temptation by using the Word of God skillfully. So, uh, this illustrates a couple of things for us. Um, number one, as we talked about last week, Jesus was tempted just like we were. Remember, we spent a good amount of time talking about how Jesus was human. And he was 100% human. He was 100% God. And as a human, He was tempted just like we are, yet He was without sin. The second thing that it demonstrates is that He used the Word to overcome the enemy. And that's also, even today, our defense. And I, I don't know um, how we would make it without the Word of God. The, the Bible even refers to the Word of God as a sword in, in one place. And so it really very much is a weapon of ours that we can use to battle against the enemy. So that's why it's important that we read the Word, we study the Word, we memorize the Word, and that we hide the Word in our heart um, because it is our primary defense against the enemy. The Word is very powerful. And I would encourage you not only to read it, but also to pray it. Have you ever tried praying the Word? You're praying to God, and you take out your Bible, and you start reading Scripture as though you were praying it or or reciting it out loud. It's very, very powerful, and it gives you a lot of strength, um, just like it did Jesus during this time of temptation. I do want to pick up one other uh, verse while we're um, here, and I apologize. I feel like I'm talking very fast. Um, but the reason is is that we have a very short amount of time because we were uh, late getting in here, so bear with me. Um, if we'll go to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, this is just to reinforce what I just said, um, and then we'll move on. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. And Ashley, I'm thinking you may get it first since you have your phone. If you'll just read that, and then we're going to keep going for the sake of time. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Good. All right. And that just reinforces what we just talked about. After this period of temptation and fasting, Jesus began his ministry. And in one place, the Bible says that Jesus went to the synagogue and he, it, it was his turn, evidently, <clears throat> from context, it was his turn to get up and read the scripture. And the Bible says he found the place in the scripture where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he said, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your sight. And then he sat down. And it was like it was like he was proclaiming the, that here I am, this, this prophecy is fulfilled, and I'm going to start doing 
these things in your midst. I'm going to start performing this ministry in your midst. And that's exactly what he did from that point on. And we'll talk in just a minute about his miracles. Charles, if you'll get that next slide, slide number two. Jesus spent some time calling his disciples, calling his disciples. He selected 12 men called disciples, men of various backgrounds. You know, there was fishermen. One was a tax collector. Um, you know, just various, various backgrounds, various lifestyles, various points in, time, uh, points in life that they came from. Yet he brought them all together as a cohesive team and commissioned them to go and to, uh, and to help propel or help perpetuate the cause of the kingdom of God. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 through 8. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 through 8. Is everybody okay? Everybody feeling okay? Good. All right. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. Got it. You got it? Alright, go ahead, Josh. And and as ye go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye receive, freely give. Good, thank you. So he that, that was his commission to his disciples. Basically, and in so many words he was saying, What you see me do, you do. You know, I, I, Jesus went out casting out devils, healing blinded eyes. We'll talk about that in a second. He commissioned his disciples to do the same thing. And I will just interject here. I wish I had more time to talk about it. But the more I study the scriptures and the more I serve God and walk with God, I, I believe that the core of, of Jesus' ministry and also the core of what he wants us to be doing today in the church is discipleship. I believe this this idea of calling disciples and spending three and a half years pouring into them was was just the very essence of who Jesus is. And I believe that's what he wants us to do as leaders. And isn't it neat that teaching this Bible study, if you find, find a friend or a loved one, somebody that you have a burden for that you're teaching this Bible study to, that's exactly what you'll be doing. You'll be discipling them and, and propelling God's message to them. So I believe this this idea is at the core of, of what uh, Jesus intended us to do. So he calls his disciples. All right, let's go to the next chart. Charles, uh, chart three, the words and works of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> Jesus uh, led and he discipled and he changed the world both in word and deed. And if you look in your Bibles, I'm actually going to read this portions of this passage. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 10... Jesus sat down on a hillside somewhere with a whole bunch of people, and he began teaching them. Uh, he taught them with authority. He taught them with uh, great skill and knowledge. And he taught something that we have now, through the, through the years of time, called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. Now, I don't think that Jesus called them that necessarily, but that's what we call them. And... Um, And Jesus uh, here turned, he really turned them upside down in their thinking. Because if you remember, when Jesus came to the world, they were under the Old Testament law with all of its rules and regulations. And if, you know, if, if, if someone killed another human being, then their life was required of them. And if somebody uh, got in a fight and, and poked somebody else's eye out, then their eye was required. The eye for eye and tooth for tooth. The, it was just, it was a very much... Uh, um, 
the old law required you to pay the penalty for your transgression. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus just takes that and he absolutely turns it upside down. And let me read you some select portions of this just to give you an idea. And this this would have been shocking. It would have been groundbreaking. It would have been life-changing to the people that heard it in that day. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, Just skipping down, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Uh, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on through here. He says, Rejoice and, and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets. And he goes on and on. And if you were to read through here, you would see. He, he says that you know, you're to forgive those that trespass against you. If somebody uh, you know, hits you in the face, then turn and let them you know, hit the other side too. You know? In other words, be merciful, be gentle. Don't require blood for blood. So the, the reason I bring this up is this would have been a seismic shift in their thinking in that day. And that was the kind of thing that the crowds were drawn to in Jesus' ministry, but it was also the kind of thing that got him some enemies with the religious establishment, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. They were very, very put out that Jesus was coming and upsetting their whole structure of religiosity. And so that would, of course, lead ultimately to his crucifixion. All right? Jesus didn't only talk, he also acted. Um, And he... um, he did a lot of miracles. And we can't go through all of the miracles right now, uh, tonight, or even in this course of this study. We just don't have time. But there were a number of them. And I will highlight this first, Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 through 13. Jesus makes a powerful statement here. They, they, were, they were talking to him, asking why, he was, why is he doing all these miracles? Why is he hanging out with people that have needs instead of with religious people? And he said this, he said, The sick do not need a physician. I'm sorry, let me back up. The whole do not need a physician. The sick are the ones that need the doctor. And of course, the analogy rings true. And he goes on to explain it. He said, I didn't come to the world for those that are saved. I came for those that are lost. I came for those that have a need. I came for those that may be considered the least of these. And that was really his mission. That was his core value. So some of the things that he did, he healed withered hands. He raised the dead. He healed blinded eyes. In one instance, he spat in the dirt and made mud and put it on somebody's eyes. And when they went and washed in the pool, they were able to see. Um, he, he healed um, withered hands, people that had what, they, what the Bible calls the palsy. He healed that. People that were demon-possessed, he cast out demons. He, everywhere he went, he just absolutely made people better. He, he healed them. He, he touched them. He raised them. And again, the crowds just followed him, just followed him. And uh, it made the religious people of the day very uncomfortable. Another method that Jesus uh, used to communicate with people and to change the world that he came in was uh, through parables, through parables. And that's kind of a fancy word, but the word parable just is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. So anytime we tell a story that has a has a God application or a kingdom application, that's just a parable. And that's what Jesus did. He was talking to common people. He was talking to farmers. He was talking to fishermen. He was talking to, you know, laborers. And so he would use stories that they could relate to to explain a a higher truth or a greater truth. And one in particular that I, I thought of was the story of the prodigal son. And this is a story where 
a son went to his dad and said, Dad, basically, I hate you. I want my inheritance now. I want it before you die. And, he, and his dad said, fine, I'll give it to you. So the son took it and he wasted it. And when that son hit the lowest point he could go, when he was out of money, out of friends, and literally living in a pigsty, uh, he, he's, the Bible, or Jesus said he came to himself and ran back to his father, and his father accepted him with open arms and said, all is forgiven. And Jesus was using that story to demonstrate that we have great mercy and great forgiveness in our Heavenly Father when we come to Him, no matter how low we feel like we have, we have sunk. Another great illustration, and this one might actually be depicted on the chart, is the pearl of great price. He told a story about a man who went and he was walking through a field, and in that field he saw treasure beyond his wildest dreams. So the man went back and he sold everything that he had and bought that field so he could have the treasure. The analogy was, is that when we find the kingdom of God, when we find this treasure of the kingdom, it's going to cost us a little bit. We have to give up our old life. But the, the gain that we're getting, the value that we're, we're realizing is worth it all. So um, these parables are how Jesus communicated with his audience. Let's go to the last chart, and I will bring this in for a conclusion. Again, I apologize if I'm talking fast. It's just a, a function of how we're doing on our time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so this last chart, we're going, to start, we're going to start easing in now a little bit and talking a little bit about how we can experience the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about what is called the new birth. In John chapter 3, if you'll go there, I'm not going to have you read it, but just so you can see it and read along with me. John chapter 3, a man by the name of Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Now, Nicodemus was an important man. He was, a, uh, he was one of these religious leaders that I was telling you about. And he, good job. And he comes to Jesus and he says, um, basically he says, what do I have to do to, to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to be born in the kingdom or, or to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now think about that. That sounds a little bit odd, doesn't it? He says, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that, that was as confusing to this man, Nicodemus, as it might sound to you. Because Nicodemus answered him and he says, Well, can I, can I actually enter into my mother's womb and be born again? And so Jesus follows up in verse 5 of John chapter 3. And he says, let, basically Jesus says, Let me tell you what I'm talking about. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Of God, and so what we know from the from the scriptures, and we're going to get into this in, in, in another time. But if you fast forward to the book of Acts, we know that being born of water, being born of water, is simply water baptism in the name of Jesus. Being born of the Spirit is simply receiving the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in our lives. And we're going to talk about how how you can experience both. In future lessons, but even at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, way back in the book of John, he was talking about being born again, being born of water and spirit as a means of entering into the kingdom of God. Um, in conclusion, and again, I'm trying to be sensitive to the time, I, I may be getting a nod that church is over. Brother Kelton, can, do y'all hear anything? Is church over? I, I don't want to keep you past, uh, but I can conclude this in two minutes if you give me two minutes. Um, until 8.30. Um, in conclusion, on this last chart, you see the picture there. There was a woman that, the, again, these religious leaders were always causing trouble. 
they caught this woman in adultery and they brought her to Jesus. And, and the law said that this woman would have to be stoned because she was caught uh, in sin. And so they wanted to stone her and they also wanted to trap Jesus and try to set him up as some, and, and cause him to say something that would get him in trouble. And Jesus answers them beautifully in John chapter 8. They, say, they come to him and they say, the law says she has to be stoned. What say you? And Jesus says, let him who is among you without sin cast the first stone. That's right. That's right. And bottom line is, one by one, they dropped the, the stones and walked away because nobody meets that criteria, right? In fact, Jesus was the only one that had the right to stone her because he was the only one without sin. And if you read, and we don't, we're not going to take time to read it right now, but in John chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus looks at her and he says, where are those that accuse you? Where are your accusers? Where are all those people that were just here? And she says, in its essence, she says they're gone. And uh, he says, well, then I'm not going to condemn you either. Basically, he says, I forgive you. Now go and sin no more. And that, that go and sin no more is an act of repentance. That's repentance. But basically, he forgave her and said that I don't, I, I, that, that we're not gonna, you're not going to die for this. You're, you're forgiven. What this demonstrates in conclusion is that Jesus came to forgive us of our sins. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. We're all sinners. Everybody that's born of woman is born in sin, the Bible says. So we all need God's forgiveness. We all need God's mercy. And that's why Jesus came. He loves us unconditionally. And the Bible says in John, Jesus said in John chapter 7, He that the Son is set free shall be free indeed. And that, well, that's what we're going to explore in the next two lessons, is how we can be free indeed and receive this great gift of mercy and forgiveness and the unfilling of God's Spirit. Amen?